Ushers, come forward if you will, please. So here we are, first Sunday back, three services. Uh, you're the 9.30 group. Some of you came for 8.30. Um, and you decided to stay for coffee. I, so I got to tell you right now, so the 8 o'clock group, I don't relate to them at all. I know it's only a half hour difference, but man, it just felt like, you know, 12 hour difference. And so I said to them this morning, I said, the eight o'clock group, they are the truly spiritual ones of the church. Yeah. And then someone said, well, what about the 930 people? How do you classify them? You're the group that really want to be the spiritual ones in the church. But eight o'clock, that's where the proof is, right? That's the proof right there. Good morning to you, and so glad you've chosen to come and be a part of our day of worship. A couple of things for you real quick. Uh, Operation Christmas Child. Last day in which to pick up a box, because we are collecting them this week. Last year, we had over 2,000 boxes. We'd love to hit that, at least hit that number again. So this is the time to grab boxes on your way out, and we're collecting them all week long. So hopefully you participate in that. A couple other things for you, you need to know. Night to Shine is coming. Uh, we are committed to Night to Shine. It's a huge event that required literally about four or 500 volunteers to make it happen. I just need you to know that we have a couple of critical positions, team leader positions, that we need to fill. Uh, some of our key people have been doing it for years, quite literally have moved away, moved out of town. And we've got a couple of key positions that we need. And this is not a matter of volunteering for the night. This would be part of our leadership team. And we have some key critical positions that we do need to fill. So if you, uh, you and a spouse are interested in, uh, in taking a look at that, contact Hannah Lumen. I've told people this all along, don't be bothered if you do call or talk to her and you find out it's been filled, someone's filling in because we've given that word out and some people are jumping in. And don't be bothered as well if you might meet with her and she might say, hey, maybe this position because there are some critical needs there uh, and skill sets necessary. So it may not be that skill set. But we're committed tonight to shine. As, we, as you know already, uh, we can take about 85 guests, and then, of course, those guests all have their guests that come with them. So our capacity is 85. That, that's, that was full uh, within hours of opening with a wait list now of about 65. So we're trying to figure that out, but if you can help with that, that's, that would be so helpful. If you've been a part of it, you know Night to Shine is one of those things the church does that gets absolutely no return other than you walk away absolutely blessed, and that's a pretty good return in itself. So if you can be a part of that, by all means, let us know. Uh, we've got some key positions we need to fill. I need to give you some incredibly good news. Uh, you know that we've had the property in Williston that was on the market. We had it sold under contract. But if you know anything about the real estate process and commercial real estate, it's not like selling a house where you, you, know, you sign the contract and you close 30 days later type of thing or 60 or 90. In this kind of process, there was a, you know, we, we signed contracts with the company, but the process was anywhere from three to five years because the, in the commercial world, uh, what they typically work on is, yeah, we'll, we'll, fin- we'll actually close after we get so many so the permits in place. We meet with the town planners because they don't want to get, get stuck and not being able to go forward. Well, that process has gone really well uh, for the company that we sold it to, to the fact where they let us know that if things keep going as well as it has been, they expect that we could do a full closing, not partial, but a full closing, getting all of the money, paying off all of our mortgage, paying off our debts that, are, that we have related to mortgage stuff in mid to middle, mid to end of November. Need you to know that by Thursday, Thursday was a closing that happened that started at nine. It's like hours long. By four o'clock in the afternoon on Thursday, all of our mortgage debts, all of that major $4 million paid off, all of that's done, property sold. 
That is no small thing. Steve Schoenberg, would you stand? So first of all, you need to know that Steve is our head elder, but Steve has been running the point on this entire process beginning to end. Job well done, Steve, and thank you. There are other team members that would be working with Steve, and Steve would be quick to say that, but if you talk to any of those team members, every one of them would say, thank you, Steve. So very sincerely, thank you. We'll give you, you get your life back now um, for a short time till we give you your next marching orders and your next project. So that is good, that is good, good news. Uh, today, uh, last thing I want to do this morning, this weekend is Veterans Day weekend, and I want to take a moment this morning and just acknowledge our veterans. I'm going to take you through a couple of steps of things, so don't applaud until I tell you, and you'll understand that at the end. So if you're here this morning and you are active military, uh, serving in the military, or have served in the military, including uh, Reserve and National Guard, uh, many of our military veterans are actively serving, would you please stand? Again, hold your applause, but please stand. We just want to see who you are. Don't be shy. Stand up. Military. We also, I want to take time because not only do we acknowledge those who have quite literally uh, put their life on the line, giving themselves over uh, to protecting us and our freedom, but I also want to include law enforcement. Anyone here in law enforcement have been or currently serving in law enforcement? Would you stand as well? <laughs> What's that? He's working you can stand on his behalf. <laughs> so I want you to take a look around see these people. Now you can all sit down. And now for the rest of us, in honor of these people, they stay seated. Would you stand and express your appreciation for them? Thank you. Very sincerely, you have heard me say this. There isn't any one of us that will look at what, we're, what we do with life, what we have in life, that we've done it on our own. Every one of us stands on the, sh on the shoulders of someone who's come before us. Every one of us owe a debt of gratitude to those who, who step up, sacrifice their time, willing to sacrifice their lives on our behalf. And in this Veterans Day weekend, very sincerely, we say thanks to you. This morning, I want to jump into a couple, uh, not a series, but a message this week and next week, just the leading into Thanksgiving and some thoughts that I've had. And I, I'll tell you right front, um, well, one uh, kind of a funny thing. So I'm going to preach this sermon. And last week we had our baptismal Sunday. And if you're here, you know that in the first service, at least, we didn't have any children being dedicated. We usually kind of have it equally you know, spaced out, which makes it easier for me because the, the services are identical so that the timing is the same. Well, in our first service last week, we only had five being baptized. A number of people had to cancel at the last minute, and we had no child dedications, which meant that if I just got up and did the baptism and worship like we normally do, the service would be maybe 30 minutes long at, at best. So I had to sit down and think of like a sermon, uh, something to give, but it has to be something I can condense for the second service when it's full or whatever. So I'm working on this and I figured out, my wife goes, what are, you, what are you kind of worried about? I said, well, if I don't do something, um, you know, you know sermon-wise, because normally it's full enough they only have time to preach, if I don't do something, then, I mean, 30 minutes, they're out the door. Her exact words. Well, you know, the past month, you've been really long. 
So why don't you give them a treat and let them go early? A treat. So you not listening to me is a treat. So as I sat there offended, I worked through it and said, no, I'm still doing something, but you know. So we come to church that Sunday. Our head elder, Mr. Schoenberg, sees me in the lobby and he knows the, the, the issue that was happening and I did a sermon thing. He walks up unsolicited, not talking to my wife and says, you know, Scott, you didn't have to preach a sermon today. You just could have been short. Some people home early, um, you know, give them a break. Give them a break. That's our head elder. Thank you very much. So listen, I'm going to preach as long as I want this morning. So stand by. But quite honestly, here's the, here's the theme for this morning. This morning, I want to finally answer the question that your spouse has been wondering for years, and that is, what is wrong with you? That's the title this morning. What's wrong with you? We're going to finally answer the question, what your problem is. Finally going to put it out there and get it settled. Years ago, a company doing some marketing for a self-help book that was coming out sent a letter out. In the promo for the book, they send this letter out. They send it to millions of people. And on the cover of the envelope, it said this. If you've ever secretly felt fat, secretly felt skinny or lazy or compulsive or depressed or, de- or, or defeated, then open this letter. This letter will change your life. For most of us, if we saw that, we would think, well, who knows us well enough to send us to get us on this mailing list? Who would know me well enough? That's exactly how I feel. I have privately either felt fat or skinny, depressed, compulsive, whatever it might be. See, here's the truth. The advertising world, the marketing world knows something about every one of us, which if we're honest, we'll confess it as well. And that is every single person has something about them they wish they could change. And I say that because if it's something you wish you could change, it means you haven't changed it or it won't stay changed. And so the advertising world knows that if they want to sell something, they just have to convince you that somehow they have an answer for the battle that you face about that thing that you would like to change. They know that so much of our lives are out of control. And if they could offer us some way to win the battle in those out-of-control areas, they're going to sell books, they're going to sell whatever it is that they're selling. Now, some quick personal inventory here. What in your life, what in your life do you have a hard time controlling? I'm just going to give you some for instances. If we could kind of lock in and see the inner workings of every brain, every mind here right now, what are some of the things that you have a hard time controlling in your life? Your temper? I wonder how many people, if we were honest, would cringe at the thought of how many people you have hurt in life because of words that you have said when your temper exploded. Maybe you have a hard time controlling sexual desires. We're living in a world where we're flooded with lustful invitations. Maybe that's your battle. Spending. Maybe you have a problem controlling your spending. Maybe you're a recreational spender. You can't help it. You can't stop it. It's just fun. Maybe eating, maybe not eating could be the thing you battle with. Maybe it's procrastination. Maybe it's lying. Maybe it's some kind of attitude, some bad habit. The point is this. All of us have areas of our lives that we wish we could change, but we can't seem to win. And in fact, we've probably tried to change. And even for some of us, we would even say, yeah, I think I'm better than I was. But still, perhaps the battle continues on. We all have things in our lives where we have said these words, right? I hate that I did that. I hate that. 
I hate that I keep doing that thing. And then, of course, when we say, oh, I hate that I do that, it's usually followed with this next statement, I'll never. I'll never do that again. I will never participate in that again, whatever it might be. So why is it that we keep doing these things that we know we don't want to do, that we know are wrong, that we know are painful, and yet we keep doing them anyway? Why is that? What's wrong with you? Well, let's get that answer. And in fact, I want to give you the answer. I also want to give you an action plan, an action plan that changes things. If you know me at all, you know I don't want to give you information. I want to, I want to preach in such a way that doesn't just give you information. I want to preach in such a way that gives you transformation. Where you can walk out and say, I can do that. I can use that and I can apply that from God's word to change my life. But before we get there, let's talk about what the problem is. So what is this problem that at the heart of the issue for us? Well, I'll be honest with you, the problem's you and the problem is me. You see, we have a sin nature. That's the problem. Well, sin nature, Scott, what does that mean? Let me explain this for you. If you ever hear someone say we have a sin nature, some take offense to it. Some will take offense and go, oh, no, no, I don't have that. Yeah, we do. We have a sin nature, which means this, that every one of us have a natural predisposition to do the wrong thing. We have this natural predisposition to do the wrong thing. Given the right situation, given the right circumstance, we will choose the wrong thing even though we know it's wrong. We're not talking about accidentally making a wrong choice. Knowing the right choice is this, we will choose the opposite. We are predisposed to do that. It means that we are not basically good with the occasional slip up. It means in reality that what happens is it means that we have bad just under the surface all the time ready to jump up and do the bad thing. Years ago, I was speaking to someone who point blank. It was, a, it, was a, it was a great conversation. I'll never forget because when he said these words, I kind of laughed inside and then realized he spoke profound truth directly to me. Fellow was talking with, we had some issues going on in his life, and I had to confront and talk to him about it. And he sat and looked at me and he said this, Scott, what I, I don't get why, why it's an issue. Because here's the words, because 95% of the time I'm good. Yeah, but that 5% is bad. And man, when that 5% comes to the surface, it's bad news. And I sat there thinking to myself, he's just described me. He's just described us. That most of us have the thought process that says, man, I don't get the issue because 95% of the time, I'm good. It's when that small part. That small part means that we've got bad always lurking in the shadow, waiting to come out, and we keep it at bay. Here's how the Bible puts it in Romans chapter 7. Paul writes these words. I don't understand myself at all. For I really want to do what is right, but I can't. I do what I don't want to, what I hate. But I can't help myself because I'm no longer doing it. It is the sin inside of me that's stronger than I am that makes me do these evil things. I know I'm rotten through and through so far as my old sinful nature is concerned. No matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do the right thing. I want to, but I can't. Can anyone here other than me relate to what he's saying? That sit there and says, you know, I, I just don't understand it. I know what I want to do. I know what I'm supposed to do. I just can't. You see, friends, there's a civil war going on in every, every one of us. Inside every one of our hearts, inside every one of our minds, there is this battle. And even when you give your life to Jesus Christ, the battle doesn't go away. The battle is real. You have, now please know, you have a good nature given to you by God. Yeah, most of us have a good nature 
given to us by God. But we also have this sin nature that just sits there and lurks and has you constantly in battle. So have you ever tried to break a bad habit? Have you ever tried to break a bad habit? And I'm sure you have. Here's how, we, how it goes. We usually say, oh, I got to stop this. And we make a vow. You know, from this point, I'm done. I'm not going to do that anymore. And typically, we're pretty good for a while. Good for a couple of days, good for a couple of weeks. Man, if we're really good, maybe a couple of months. But the problem is the old you comes back, right? The old you comes back. So the joke in our family, in our family is the joke of new Scott versus old Scott. So I know myself, I know that I can be a little sarcastic. And I know that when it comes to my son-in-law specifically, I'm relentless on them. In fact, I warned them ahead of time, you know, when they came into the family, not a surprise. I just said, you know, I love you. I will always love you. But I got to tell you, you got to get to know me and I'm pretty tough and tough in a fun way. So they do stuff and, you know, they just do dumb stuff. I'll give them a project that just, you know, whatever. Or I'll give them a project and they'll say, so you think I can handle it? Or should I get the, your, you know, three-year-old daughter to help you? You got that? And of course, then I feel bad. And so the, the kind of the joke is I feel bad when I say something like that. So I stop and I go, you know what? New Scott, new Scott. Old Scott is sorry for saying that. New Scott, it's gonna be a new Scott. My one son-in-law, Ryan, he is so funny. One day I said, new Scott, and he goes, you know what, I hate new Scott. I go, what do you mean you hate new Scott? Because I hate new Scott. I hate new Scott because new Scott doesn't last. New Scott doesn't last. I said, well, new Scott lasts. It doesn't last, it lasts an hour. And he said, I, I hate new Scott. I'd rather just have old Scott because I know how to defend myself against old Scott. So I go, fair enough. Let's go back to old Scott. I like him better anyway myself. But here's the issue. Old Scott, new Scott. It's just, he just switches back and forth. And I can't keep new Scott. As much as I'd love to keep new Scott, I can't. Old Scott wins. I was shopping years ago, took some friends, and we were shopping at the general store in Stowe. If you've not been to the general store, it's a real treat. The general store in Stowe, and there's a refrigerator magnet down there. I didn't buy it, but I remember it stuck on an old refrigerator, and it said this. Today my diet is, and then there was a little thing you could slide, on or off. Today my diet is on, today my diet is off. What does that tell you? It tells you that we are in constant battle. Constant battle to do the right things, and in this case, the diet. So don't fool yourself. Good intentions are never good enough to change bad behavior. They never keep it at bay. The best resolution you can ever make will never be enough. I mean, come on, how many times have you said, I will never, right? I will never. I will never do that again. I will never drink again. I will never get drunk again. I will never smoke again. I'll never lose my temper again. I'll never be an unkind person again. Every one of us struggles with this inside tension the Apostle Paul talks about. Now, this inner battle inside of us has three results. Let me hit them real quickly so that we can go from there and I can show you an action plan. But when I give you these three results that this tension has of trying to do the right thing and not being pulled off, when I give you, I give you these three things, these three things that, will be, that are very real results, you're going to go, absolutely, that's exactly where I live. Here's the first result of this tension. The first result is confusion. And Paul actually gives us this picture in his words. The first is confusion. This tension results in confusion. The Apostle Paul says this, I don't understand myself. 
How many times in our lives have we found ourselves saying, what's wrong with me? Why can't I stop this? Why am I dealing with the same issues I've been dealing with my whole life? What's wrong with me? Why do I keep doing this thing? I know it's wrong. Confusion. Second thing it results in in our lives is frustration. Apostle Paul said that. Paul said this, I have the desire to do good, but not the power. I have the desire. I I know what to do, and I really want to do it, but I just don't have the power to do it. So some time ago, I read this article that said you can determine how long you live if you can get off the floor without using your hands. (laughs) Say goodbye to me. I'm dead tomorrow, best I can tell. I don't know when that happened, but I'm a floor guy. I've been, I'm, I'm, I'm always on the floor, laying on the floor. So, you know, I mean, that's just where I, I choose to go. I don't know when it happened, but it certainly happened one day where I went, I usually jump up, and I'm not jumping up. In fact, not only do I have to use my hands, I'll use your hands, the dog's hands, anyone's hands that will help me to get off of the floor. If I'm laying on the floor and some emergency happens and I can't get to a chair quick enough to climb up, I'm a pathetic sight crawling across that floor looking to get up quick. Now, I can do it. But I tell you, it's a hassle. Here's the deal. It's frustrating because there are certain things I can't do anymore. Like pick up the air conditioners and put them seven, six feet on a shelf up top. Pick them up and stick them up there. You see, I sit there going, I know I, I could do this. And I really want to do this. But I can't. Paul says, listen, I have the desire. I don't have the power. And it's frustrating. See, the problem with every self-help book out there, now, self-help books do help some, but the problem with every kind of self-help book that's out there is that they all work from the same premise, and the premise they all work from is that you actually have the power to change and do permanent change. That's the problem. You see, they can all tell you, you know, just stop being negative, They can tell you, just stop being undisciplined. Just stop the bad attitudes. But they can't really tell you how to get to the core of it. They can put the Band-Aid on it, but they can't get to the core. So what happens is this, we get confused, we get frustrated, and that brings the third result, and I know you're going to, I know you live there, some of us, we all have, and that is discouragement. The third result is discouragement. In fact, here's what the Apostle Paul says later in chapter 7, verse 24. He says this, I've tried everything and nothing helps. Look at the words. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? He says, the real question is, is there any hope for me? Is there someone who can help me? That's the Apostle Paul. And can you hear the frustration in his words? That same frustration that we feel. We get to that place, we're ready to give up, it's no use, I'm just a mess, I'm a failure, this thing is still there, I'll keep working at it, but I'm never going to change. Listen, you can change. Let's move into God's plan. God does have a plan, God does have a way out. And God has a promise. Here's God's promise to your problem with sin. Jesus actually said it in John chapter 8, verse 32. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus' words was this, there's hope for you, and the hope that you need is found in knowing the truth. The secret to personal change, friends, just so you know, is not willpower. The secret to personal change is not a pill. The secret to personal change is not a resolution. The secret to personal change is not making some vow that you'll take. The secret to personal change is not something that you do, it's something that you know. And you got to know the truth. Knowing the truth is the key to change. Now, make sure that you get this. 
Clearly found in this statement is the opposite. See, it goes like this. If the truth is what sets you free from the cycle of failure, what is it that keeps you in the cycle of failure? The lie. It's the listening to the lie. Friends, behind every self-defeating action is a lie that you are believing. Behind every self-destructive behavior, there's a lie. I've accepted a lie about myself. It might be a lie about me. It might be a lie about my, my life. It might be a lie about God. It might be a lie about my past or my future. It might be a lie about what I think if I do this act, what it gains me. But there's deception. Now think with me for just a moment. Why do you, why do I do something that I know is bad for me? Why do I do something that I know is bad, I know is wrong? Because I believe that there's some kind of short-term benefit in the action. I do it because I believe that somehow there's some immediate benefit. That's the lie. We believe that the payoff is worth it even for just a moment. That's a lie. Does great damage. And Jesus didn't say when you speak the truth, he said when you know it, which means when you believe the truth, when you act on the truth, that's life-changing. I want you to hear this. Change does not start in your will. Change starts in your mind. It doesn't start with your willpower. Change starts in your mind. When you know the truth, that's a mind thing. That's something in the head that begins to happen, saying, I know the truth about this. Now I'm equipped to battle it and fight it. So, okay, Scott, what's this truth that I need to know? Well, Jesus said this in John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus answered, well, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. Jesus said, I'm the truth which sets you free. He's the truth that sets you free. He's the truth about yourself. He's the truth about God. He is the truth about life. He's the truth about how to win the battle. It's in knowing the person of Jesus Christ that that's the truth that allows you the freedom to win. So let's get to the action plan. <clears throat> if you're serious about finally winning in some of those areas that you battle with and don't seem to be able to win, here's an action plan that gets us to the winning side. But I want to be perfectly upfront and honest with you. For some of you, we're going to go through four steps. They're pretty straightforward, in and out, you're on your way home. For some of you, they will make absolutely no difference. And it's not that God's word doesn't work. It's not that these principles from God's word that don't work. But for some of you, it won't mean a thing because you won't apply them. And I got it. And there's no condemnation there. I'm just saying, for some, it'll be information. For others of you, it'll be transformation. Because for some of you, you've gotten to a place where you're tired of that battle, you're tired of the vicious cycle, and you're willing to say, I'm going to do this because I'm tired of losing the battle. So let me give you these four steps. Action plans. You know me at all from preaching. You know, I don't want to give you something that you got information, you walk out of here and go, well, I got information for the future. No, I want to give you something that can transform you that you can apply today and apply tomorrow. So here's the first one. First action plan. If you want to be free. First thing, acknowledge the real root of the problem. The first thing is acknowledge the real root of the problem. Acknowledge the truth about yourself. And the truth about yourself is this, is that you've got sin and that's the issue. See, most of us would agree that throughout our lives, we've had this feeling that something's wrong. Most of us would agree that through my life, I have these moments where I, I do the wrong thing, say the wrong thing, things are a little out of whack. 
We're not exactly sure what the problem is, but God knows what the problem is. He's real clear. And we think that what happens in our lives, we think we have these occasional problems. We have these occasional blemishes, like the guy I talked to, 95% good. I only got this 5% I have to work on, but that 5% undermines everything. A lot of us have this thought process that says, well, I do have a problem, but the truth of it is, it's the other people that cause the problem. If it weren't for the people in my life, I'd be better off. If it weren't for my family history, I'd be better off. I mean, they're part of the problem. If I didn't have that to deal with, then I'd be okay. God says, let me help you. Your problem is sin. Your problem is sin. That's the problem. Now, God speaking says, I know, I know what the issue is, but will you face it? See, I can look at this and say, I know that sin is the problem. Certainly, it's your problem. Not as much mine, but certainly yours. And that's kind of how we view it. Because let's be honest, sin's a pretty ugly word. See, the reason why you can't change is sin. So let's be clear here, because this gets confusing. Sin is not a behavior thing. See, when we say the word sin, a lot of us start checking boxes as to what is sin, sinful behavior. Sin is not a behavior thing. Now, make no mistake, sin starts in the mind and, start, and sin gives way to bad behavior. But sin is a mental thing. It starts right there. Sin produces sinful behavior. But sin at first is a mental issue. So it's a thought process. Let me give you a definition. Sin is playing God. That's simple. Sin is playing God. Sin is thinking, I know better than God knows. Sin is thinking, I'll do what I think is right. Now, for a lot of us, you hear sin is playing God. Sin is thinking you know better than God. And a lot of us would take offense to that to say, I've never said that. I've never said I know better than God. I've never said I'm God. I, I got it. But when you know the right thing to do, that God would say, I need you to do this. I want you to do this. God's word calls us to do this. And I say, no, what you're saying is, I know better. It's just that simple. There's no way around it. When my children were little, I'd say, hey, listen, I need you to go do that. And they look at me and say, no, they got a better plan. And no, no, I have a plan. And they go, no, I got a different plan. You see, that's playing God. There's no way, there's no way around it. And at the center of sin is the word I, I. I am at the center of, of sin in my life. I am the problem. That's the starting place to acknowledge that you're the problem. You say, wait, wait, I don't think that, I, I don't think that I'm better than God. Okay, then why don't you do what God says? Why? You see, sin is rejecting God's laws. Sin is when I decide to follow my way, my will versus God's. So I got news for you. Sin is the root of all your problems. Do you get that? Sin is at the core of every one of my issues. What makes it even harder is that we live in a constant state of perpetual denial about sinfulness. See, most of us take the approach like this. You know, if I were preaching on sin, I'd say, you know what? You got sin in your life. Most would say, yeah, yeah, I know I'm not perfect. And then we throw this in, nobody is. See, I, I like that. I, I feel good about myself. I'm not perfect, and neither are you. Some of you right now are looking at me saying, I'm not perfect, Scott, and I know you're not either, because that feels good. That's how it works. A lot of us take the approach that says, well, I'm, I have some bad, but I'm not as bad as you. That always makes me feel a lot better when I can compare myself to others. When's the last time, when's the last time when you blew it, when you just flat out sinned and did wrong? When's the last time that you said, man, I just sinned? As opposed to our usual approach, which is, I blew that one. 
Yeah, that was a bad judgment of error. That was a mistake. You see, sin's an issue, and we don't like it. We don't like the word, and we don't like the thought of it. So here's the problem. 1 John 1.8, if we say that we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Straightforward. So let me give you a key principle for today. A key principle is this. Sin always involves self-deception. You see, somehow your way is better than God's, and that's self-deception. To think that somehow your way is better. So to, to stop, you've you got to stop defeating yourself. If you're going, you stop defeating yourself is the only way that you win. You've got to stop defeating yourself and you've got to stop deceiving yourself. So let's really be honest here. Are there any areas in your life right now, I'm not asking you to put your hand up, don't shout anything out loud, you're all safe. But are there any areas in your life right now where you could honestly say, it's not a problem? There's things that you face, you go, ah, it's really not a problem. Would you be willing to look at some of those things where you go, ah, it's not really a problem, and maybe you might find that maybe it is a bigger deal than you think? Would you face, honestly face and deal with some of these issues where usually your approach is, yeah, yeah, it pops up right now, but it's not that big of a deal. Maybe it is. Are you pretending that your love for your husband or your love for your wife is okay when you know it's not okay and you know there's trouble there? Are you pretending maybe that you can stop this habit, this addiction, this drinking uh, anytime you want? You know, it's the old adage, you know, every alcoholic in the world says they can stop every time they want, anytime they want to. Anything in your life where you say, I can stop it if I choose to. Anything like that? How about your out-of-control spending habits? You can't get out of debt because you won't admit you have a problem. Anything like that going on in your life? Anything you might admit in the area of, you know, whatever it might be, that you, you, you write it off, but you know that it's still there. Maybe hear this next statement. Would you be willing to admit that maybe the issue isn't the drugs or isn't the alcohol, maybe it's not the spending, as much as it is, it is the escaping. Might you admit that perhaps what's going on is that you're kind of self-soothing your pain for some issues in your life. Would you admit the fact that you got some stuff going on that's leading you down some pretty bad paths? And maybe it's bigger than you think. You cannot get healthy until you acknowledge that you are the problem. Now listen, it always boils down to God issues. Very honestly, it really does. Who or what is going to be the God of your life? Who's going to be it? Now, please hear this. I'm pressing in here a little bit because of this. In our human pattern, we tend to go this road. We do not change until what? Until the bottom drops out. You see, for most of us, we will never change one single thing about us unless the bottom falls out and we are absolutely forced to do so. No other choice. And I would say to you, it doesn't have to be that way. See, for some of us, the things that we're talking about, you're going to keep be persistently living in, these, in some of these battle areas to the point where you're going to get yourself so deep in trouble, you're going to go, something has to change. You don't have to wait until that point. Now, listen to these two verses put together. I'll read you, I'll read you one that you can see on the screen, then I'll add the other one in. John 8, 34 says this, Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin, and then go back to 1 John 1, 8, and if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Jesus says, listen, everyone who sins, man, you are just caught. You're caught in the cycle. You can't break free, and if you say you have no sin, he says that you're just lying to yourself. 
See, the answer to the problem of sin is a person. Who is going to be the Lord of your life, you or him? Hear this next statement. God has everything that you lack, and you lack everything that you need to be free. He's got everything that you lack, and you lack everything that you can possibly need that would get you free. I love this story. A Chinese businessman had shared this story how he became a believer, a follower of Jesus. And he shared this story. He said this, part of his uh, testimony in front of a group of businessmen. He said, I walked down the road of life and I had fallen into a great ditch. It was a ditch that was filled with depression and discouragement and sin. As I laid in that ditch, Muhammad came along and said this to me, it's your fault that you're in that ditch. You have offended Allah and this is your punishment. Soon after, Marx came along and said this, you're in the ditch because of class warfare. You must revolt. But revolution or not, I'm still in the ditch. And then the Buddha came by and said, you're not really in a ditch. You just think you're in a ditch. It's just an illusion. Be at peace and learn how to live in the ditch. And then Confucius came by and said this, here are 10 steps of self-attainment. Do them and you won't even notice the ditch. And if you work hard enough, maybe someday you might get out of the ditch. And then he said this to this group of businessmen. And then one day Jesus came by and saw me in the ditch and didn't utter a word. Instead, he climbed into the ditch and picked me up as muddy and dirty as I was. And he carried me out of the ditch. And he ended by saying these words, oh, how I thank God that Jesus did for me what I could not do for myself and that Jesus would do for me that which no one else could do either. Romans 8, chapter 2. For the power of the life-giving spirit and this power is mine through Jesus Christ has freed me from the vicious circle of sin and death. What is this vicious circle or vicious cycle? It goes just like this. Good intentions. I'm never going to do this again. Then I fail. Then I feel guilty. And I feel guilty in the place where I say, oh, I'm never doing that again, which is good intentions and then failure and then guilt. And so the cycle continues. How do you break out? How do you break out of that? See, after you accept that you are the issue, that's that first step. You acknowledge that you're the issue. You take that next step, and that next step comes to that place of believing that Jesus Christ can actually change you. That Jesus Christ can actually make the difference. That's step two. That Jesus Christ actually has the ability and the power in which to change you. And now we come to three. And I'm going to lose most of you right here. Third one, you confess your struggle to other believers. Other people who are walking with God, who are friends in your life, you confess to them the battle that you face in whatever that area might be. This is such a basic and essential part of, of lasting change. It's a prerequisite for real, genuine change. James chapter 5 verse 16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so God can heal you. When a believing person prays, great things happen. 
Confess to each other so that, yes, someone knows and can pray for you. There's a couple of key reasons here. Certainly having people pray for you, that's critical. But that second part is this. Ego prevents healing. Ego stops healing. You know what happens when you're willing to sit down with someone and tell them your battle? Ego gets pushed aside and humility takes over. And humility leads to healing. Confessing to someone else, saying, here's the battle that we have. Here's the battle that I'm facing. You know, just so you know, that confession part is a key component of any recovery program. Kind of a side note for you, we are actively looking right now and working towards the restart of Celebrate Recovery. A place of caring and a place of accountability. Let me give you this last principle. Last principle that sets us free. And that fourth one is this. Dedicate yourself completely and totally to Jesus Christ. Here's our last passage. Romans chapter 6 verse 12. Don't let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. See, whether you like it or not, you are controlled by something. Like it or not, every single day, something or someone is going to control your life. Your ego might control you. Your lust might control you. Your expectations from other people for your life might control you. Some of you are controlled by fear every day. Some of you have a past where every day your life is controlled by guilt from that past. Make no mistake, you are controlled by something. But when Jesus Christ is your master, with him you master everything. With him you can master anything. See, instead of your plan, I would say choose God's plan. Better yet, just choose him. Just choose him. You see, when Jesus Christ is in control of your life, he always moves you and directs you in the right direction. So here's the end of the sermon. Do you want to change? You don't have to wait till you bottom out. Unfortunately, some of you will wait till then. And it'll be painful. But you don't have to wait. Are you willing to say, God, I am so tired of trying and failing? I am so tired of this cycle where I try, I decide I'll never, and yet I fail again, then I live in guilt. I hate it. Truth of it is, for many of us, if we are honest, we're just plain tired and discouraged because of the ongoing cycle we can't break free. So maybe it's time to try God. So hear this. It's your choice, though. See, the great thing about God is this. You might be new, might be visiting. This is your first exploration into the Bible or the God stuff. God does not strong arm anyone. God does not twist anybody's arm to believe in him or follow him. Nope, that's your call. I gave you free choice. And so you do have an option. The option to, option to depend on him or to depend on you. The result is either freedom or frustration. Your choice. God won't strong arm anyone. So here's the closing question. Would you like to really change? If you would, I just gave you the steps. A, B, C, D. A, acknowledge your problem and that you are the problem, sin. B, believe that Jesus Christ will change you. C, confess your struggle to another believer. Expose it publicly for the sake of humility and change. D, 
dedicate yourself completely to Jesus. Final word, you say, well, what does that mean? Dedicate myself completely to Jesus. Quite honestly, it's a hard issue, of course, where you say, Lord, I dedicate myself to you. But real practically, every morning, you say, God, today is your day. And it's your agenda. I I dedicate myself to your kingdom today. Now, please know, I'm no holier-than-thou guy. I don't do that every morning. I miss it. I get up. I'm late. I got to get places. What happens in my life often is I'm out in in the world somewhere, and something happens that reminds me that I've really blown it. I've said something to somebody. I've done something. And all of a sudden, I stop, and I recognize, God, I look horrible right now. I look just like I'm God instead of you being God. So you stop and you say, God, I give you this moment. Today, I want it to be about you. Stand, please. Let's pray. Father, this morning, there are some folks that are really battling, and what they've just heard resonates with them. What they've just heard, not my words, but your words through your Holy Spirit speaking resonates and in fact, for some, it's given them hope because they're thinking maybe, maybe it can change. I pray this morning that these steps are not just some off-the-wall stuff. They're right from God, your, your word. They're right from the, your word into our lives. So I pray that you empower them to take those steps and to realize that with your Holy Spirit at work in them, they have the ability to win the battle. The battle will still be there, but they'll be on the winning side, not the losing side. For others of us, it's been good information. And I mean this with no judgment. Lord Jesus, keep that information filed away in their heart. So when the time comes where they've hit the bottom, they can stop and say, I remember, and they can turn to you. Dismiss us today in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.